Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our 28th episode of 2022. Before we kick off, I'd like to thank our sponsors of Fiber for Breakfast, including our gold sponsor, Graybar and Vetro. This morning, I'm pleased to report that every eligible state and territory, all 56 of them, have submitted their letter of intent to NTIA to participate in the BEAD and Digital Equity Planning Grant Programs committing their states to the goal of bringing high-speed internet for all and emphasizing this monumental moment in our nation's history. The deadline for the LOI submissions to NTIA is next week, July 18th, so NTIA has achieved 100% participation with five days to spare, so that's great news. The next major milestone is the request for initial planning funds that must be submitted by August 15th, and states can request up to $5 million and territories are eligible for up to $1.25 million. So yesterday, the Fiber Broadband Association, uh, NTCA, and Cartesian held a webinar to announce the release of the latest version of our trusty little playbook. I guess I can put it the right side up. Um, yeah, so we've updated our playbook with the details information from the NTIB at NOFO. So in addition to walking through the updated playbook, we did about 45 minutes of Q&A with our panel of policy experts. So if you missed the webinar, you can access the replay on the Fiber Broadband Association's website under the events tab. You can also download a copy of the updated playbook at www.fiberbroadband.org forward slash page forward slash playbook. Also remind, want to remind everyone that our next regional Fiber Connect workshop is at Copper Mountain Resort in Colorado on August 23rd. And we'll be in Columbus, Ohio on November 3rd. Both work workshops will sell out, so please register today. For today's Fiber for Breakfast session, we're going to be focusing on the Northeast and a session titled Moose, Lobsters, Blueberries, and Broadband with Peggy Schaefer, the Executive Director of Connect Maine Authority. And last week on Fiber for Breakfast, we discussed the work from home and collaboration megatrends are fueling the fiber diet with Ron Westfall of Futurium Research. So no big surprise, but work from home is here to stay, and we're continuing to need an immersive broadband environment at our homes. Today, for Fiber for Breakfast, we'll be discussing moose, lobsters, blueberries, and broadband with Peggy Schaefer of Connect Maine Authority. Peggy is the Executive Director of Connect Maine, Authority, Maine's program to expand broadband to unserved areas of the state. As director, Peggy does all the normal things a director does, including budgets, grant process, public outreach. Critical to Maine's program is understanding the continually changing landscape of broadband and creating strategies to meet those challenges. State programs are continuously process improvement effort. This past year, Peggy has led Connect Maine in developing a verification and validation process for infrastructure grants, a broadband intelligence platform, and a structure to support communities in development of broadband utility districts. 
and the successful applications of the NTIA broadband infrastructure program. Prior to joining Connect Maine, Peggy was the small business advocate in the state, as the Secretary of State's office, and served as co-chair for Maine's broadband coalition. Using her 20 years of political work from serving as a lobbyist for the Department of Economic and Community Development, as well as Chief of Staff in Maine's State Senate. Peggy brings an understanding that this work requires multiple strategies to be successful, including a good sense of humor. So welcome, Peggy. Um, for our audience, please type in their questions as we go, and we'll hit those in the Q&A session at the end. With that, I'd love to turn it over to Peggy. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's really great to be on this show. Um, you know, I think this this association has been in the forefront. The playbook is a really excellent tool for both localities, states, and well as ISP. So congratulations on putting that not small piece of work together um, in terms of the, the support that this whole community is going to need as we go forward. You know, I want to talk a little bit about the main model. Um, I often call it main secret sauce, right? And so we sort of are looking at it, thinking about it, is getting getting people ready, connecting the ready, enabling middle mile, and then a final sort of last piece, reach me, which we'll all talk about at the end. So what we are trying to do is build on our existing models and strategies. We've been doing community develop community partnerships for about seven years. We have a, over 300 communities engaged in a community planning process. Um, and that has helped us in, in multiple ways, right? It helps us figure out better data than, than we've had uh, about what's available in communities. It also begins to show uh, internet service providers that there's an interest in those communities, that they can actually make a business case for building there. Um, and finally, it allows those communities to really make a choice of what kind of service they want and who they want to own it. And to me, that's a really critical piece because broadband is really, it's a personal tool, right? It really is, it's a personal tool. And so having the communities have a say in who they want to provide their service and who they think should own it, I think is a central piece of, of the kind of work that we try to do. The other thing that we've done is we've begun to figure out how to standardize data. And that has helped us apply for the NTIA grant. We've used it in our grant application that we had this March and we are continuing to refine it and use it as we move into the capital projects funds money and then uh, next year hopefully into the bead money the iija money um, we do strive for universal service um, that everybody uh, gets connected over 100 and our goal is our build to standard is 100 over 100 you got to build to 100 100 oh, we're not going to provide you funding um, the important piece here i think is that um, we um, have our definition right now of unserved is 50-10 and underserved is 100 over 100. And our statute requires us to provide funding for both underserved and unserved. Um, so that's when, when we get to the how we're doing for this past round, that's kind of a key piece to remember. Um, and most importantly, we want no orphans. We don't want any more of these people who kind of left out. We want universal service for a town. So this is how we sort of began our approach to the NTIA grant, which we are calling ours is Connect the Ready Mountains to the Sea. Um, so we put out an RFI, we got 21 responses, um, and we, of those 21, we selected three areas. And part of what we did here is we used our, our, um, our mapping system to um, identify what areas best fit the NTIA criteria. 
so that we could be a competitive for a grant. And this is sort of a heat map, right? So this is areas that would be uh, mostly of uh, that would be that fit the criteria. And one of the criteria was cost. So it was important to look at a density factor. So the hot parts, the bread parts on this, really um, are, are where we knew we needed to focus to be competitive for the grant. So we got we got uh, 21 responses. We selected three. And then that only, that only gave us about $15 million. And I really wanted to apply for the full amount. Federal grants are a lot of money, and they were going to give away $30 million. So I wanted to apply for $30 million. So we used this map to reach out to existing providers um, for other areas of the state and tried to match up those areas with providers who had interest. Okay, and, and so this is what we ended up. We ended up with seven project areas. Um, the mountains one is Rangeley, that's up towards the, the um, left upper left part of the screen. There's the Farmington area, which is the middle part of the screen. There's a, a chunk, there's actually three projects down towards um, the coast. That actually is, it's a, um, it's inland, but it's in one of the most rural counties we have, which is Lincoln. And then we have a big project that goes um, most of the, all of the Blue Hill Peninsula. Um, and one final, final little project, um, which is off the edge of Stonington, which is um, Idaho. So we ended up with seven project areas. We have three different providers. Three of these networks will be community-owned networks. We're going to cover at least 15,000 locations. And more importantly, we did it for about $20,000 per pass. Um, and it's all going to be fiber to the premise. One of the things that the bead requires actually is a challenge process. And so I thought I'd just demonstrate this is the NTIA grant also had a challenge process. And what you're looking at here, those hot things, those orange and red things are census block areas that were challenged. Now, the important thing about our data is that we, NTIA called for essentially blowing apart a census block and serving unserved locations within a census block. But then the challenges were actually based on FCC census blocks. So we had to sort of put them back together, identify areas that we were not serving, uh, that we were actually serving within that census block. And a lot of our community planning came into play here because the communities had been out, they knew what was served, what was not served. Um, one area, the Deer Isle area, the town manager put up on his Facebook page, um, you know, cable that the, the cable company had challenged almost all of the Deer Isle Peninsula and who didn't have service. And so he put together a map that showed, you know, who didn't have service based on people's requirements in a Facebook Facebook post. It took him one day. Um, that kind of stuff is really central, we believe, to this this process, right? Because it isn't just you're not just building to people. This net, it's important that this network get used. And so having people have an understanding of who serves them and how they serve them is a, is a big piece of that. Engaging them in this process is really central to our strategy. And so this is what we ended up uh, out of those areas. The green are all areas that are in remain in the project. The reds are um, de-scoped but transit through so we can run fiber through there but we just can't serve homes there and the, the teal color are actually art off areas which is I think another piece that this project is very it's very interesting is that we had a lot of art off areas that were on the outer edge that this project actually builds to so it builds on um, private investment it builds on public investment and it builds on multiple programs and I think that's one of the reasons that we were successful 
We had 340 census block challenges. Only 110 of those census blocks um, actually made it through the challenge, and some of them were only parts of those census blocks. So we think that the data that we had was really central and really important to maintaining the integrity of our project and to make sure that we were actually going to serve those 15,000 locations. So how we use this process in our last grant round is we identified areas in the state that were eligible for a grant. Now, if you notice, it is almost everybody in the state, right? But that's because our definition of underserved is less than 100 over 100, and our definition of unserved is 50 over 10. This was state bond money. Um, so this was the definition of who is going to be eligible in this round. When we move to the capital projects fund money, and then next spring to the bead money, we will be able to use this data and this mapping platform to identify those same kind of targeted areas. So we are going to be able to identify which areas are eligible based on the federal criteria that is in the, in the grants. And that to me is central. We're not sort of saying, come in wherever you are. We're saying these are the areas that we'd like you to cover. Um, and this is why it's important. So um, we got the bright pink are the, uh, the grants that are the applications that came in. We required all of the grantees to give us a high level network design. Um, we actually went into every single uh, map that they gave us and made sure that they were serving every single location. So we have locational data because part of this is a cost quest data. So we have locational data and we went in and made sure that they were not leaving any orphans, that they were bringing in all of those little streets, you know, that go off in the, that don't really connect anywhere else. Those, those locations all had to be included in their project. We're always depending on match. You know, we try to make sure our money goes as far as we can. Um, and we also required an affordable option, not just that they could provide uh, um, the uh, ACP money, but that the actual product, they had something that was affordable for middle-class families too. Um, and again, they had to meet a build standard of 100 over 100. We set a standard, I think it was in 2016, of 10 over 10. And since 2016, we've been building all, mostly all fiber in this state. It actually started, we had a small, com small company in Northern Maine, Pioneer, who I think is a, is a uh, fiber uh, association member. Um, and I think in 2012, they applied for a grant to do DSL to a pretty rural part of Arista County. And they looked at the numbers and thought, forget it, we're just going to do fiber. And so most of our products, most of our, our grants since 2015 or so have been fiber to the home. Um, and that I think is important because it's important that, as you know, that we keep building out, that we keep building expertise and we keep building this capacity um, for, the, for this network to be upgraded. Um, the interesting, one of the pieces here is you see this line that goes all the way through the state, that green line, that's our BTOP project. In Maine, we call it the three ring binder, which is sort of ironic, right? Because that's the folders. That, anyways, it's a five petrobyte line um that goes all over the state and the the it connects every single um university and it connects every single community college um and so it is it is if you notice most of these projects do come off of the three binder in one way or another so you hear a lot of stuff about whether these btop projects were successful we think ours was we think it enables a lot of these last mile builds that come off of it um, and so it is one of the success factors that we are using to build as we go forward.
So our next step, Capital Projects Fund, BEAD, DEA, Middle Mile. Again, we are building on what we learn every day and what we learn from our past successes and our past failures. So we're building off the three ring binder. We're trying to figure out where else can we use Middle Mile to get to those locations that need uh, that Middle Mile infrastructure to build out the last mile. We have a main school library network that um, covers about 95% of the schools and libraries and all those schools and libraries have a gig, symmetrical gig to those schools and libraries. And those are all over the state. Um, so that has, has made uh, providers upgrade their central offices. That's gonna help us as we continue to think about how we expand service to those last mile pieces. We are continuing our community engagement process. We have, we have, uh, ch we change it all the time, right? And every time we learn something, we change our community planning process. We now have a community of practice where all of the organiz all of the organizations that have led the community, uh, uh, the community planning process, join together about once a month and have a just have a conversation about what's going on. How do what do we learn from each other? I th we believe that we there's a lot to learn in this, and learning from each other is a key piece of that. Um, and then we are building, continuing to build last mile infrastructure. In 2019, I think it was, we had a $500,000 program. Next year, we're gonna have $500 million, or we think, roughly, if the bead money is sort of what it's supposed to be. So that's a ramp up that's pretty impressive, right? And we have been um, trying to prepare through that with, uh, with working with a, validation process where we go we're going to go out and inspect every single one of these builds to make sure that they meet the requirements we've expanded our mapping we have this broadband intelligence platform which is really helping us target stuff um, and so we're going to the get ready is the continuation of our community planning process the connector ready is working with communities that are currently planning and isps to build these public private partnerships we're gonna try line extensions. A couple states have done it. We're trying to learn from them. We know there's a lot of places where there are, have been orphans in the past, and we're trying to figure out the best way to get to those people. Um, we're working on a middle mile project, both as a, as a competitive middle mile, hopefully with the NTIA grant, as well as looking at funds that uh, potentially from our capital projects fund, as well as bead money. We know middle, middle mile is important to get to these last mile segments. Um, and then we, we are embedding digital equity and inclusion in all of these plans and programs. And I think one of the things that, that our broadband intelligence platform and our structure, the, main, the Connect Authority and now the new main Connectivity Authority allow us to do, is I know Johan Hovitz actually talked about yesterday about how we target these areas where no one is interested in it. Our broadband intelligence platform helps us figure that out, where those areas are, and just as importantly, um, our structure, the main connectivity authority, can actually build and own or take equity positions in those areas. So if we don't have a provider that's interested, the main connectivity authority can come in and be the be the be the owner of that infrastructure um, and partner with our provider to provide the service. So we're really trying to think ahead every step of the way, um, and I think that's one of the reasons we were successful with our NTIA grant. And um, one of the reasons that uh, we are really optimistic that um, when we're done with this bead money, which I don't know when that will be, three years, four years, that everybody in the state's gonna have a connection. So happy to take questions. Thank you, that's great. It's um, great progress. Um, so just to start off, you know, one of the areas that um, 
it's been problematic for some states is the 25-3 when you have different definitions. I know like Montana used uh, 25-5 and so all of a sudden it started, you know, digitally redlining areas. So if you have 50-10, um, how is that going to impact your ability to get the bead funding? So that's the definition for our state funds. Obviously, when we use bead funds, we're going to use the 25-3 standard. Um, and one of the things about our broadband intelligence platform and us working with providers to get better data to feed that platform is that we're, you know, we will redefine our targeted areas based on the federal criteria of 25-3. I think that the, the um, you know, I, I think Joanne, I think mentioned this yesterday, and I think it is true that. Um, you know, there's there's not a lot of low-hanging fruit left. There never really was a lot of low-hanging fruit left that's easy to build to. Um, but we've now sort of moved up the tree and we have sort of the less low-hanging fruit. And this bead money is going to make us get out the ladder um, and climb to the top of the tree to get the fruit that's really hard to get, right? And um, knowing where those areas are, and most importantly, I think for us, is uh, making sure that nobody in those areas get left behind, right? I mean, there are places in every state, and we have them too, where people are gonna, they're gonna get, um, they're probably gonna get satellite or or um, or wireless service because they're two miles down a dirt road, they're on the top of a mountain, they're someplace, right, where there's just them. Those areas that I think the the bead money recognizes some of those areas, those areas will have a temporary solution, right? And I don't know if we'll get if you don't have if you don't have electricity it's pretty hard for us to get stuff to you but um we're going to try to get everybody else in the state we really are we're going to make an effort um maine is one of the most rural states in the country and that's defined because we have more people living outside of i, I always hesitate when i use this word for Maine, urban areas than other states um and so most of our urban areas are built out a little bit with fiber but I mean, with usually with cable and or DSL, and now some of those ILACs are coming in and laying fiber over that. Um, but the surrounding areas are not, which is the puzzle, right? And so that's what we're trying to reach with these things. But at the same time, and this is one of my little things with, with the bead money, right? They want you to get 25-3, and then when you're all done with that, you can come back and get the other people, right? that is the most expensive way to do this we if you're i i say it's a little colloquialism that i use if you're going to get to the wags you have to go through the willies right and you might as well build them out at the same time because it's more expensive to come back and build the willies after you've built the wags and to get them all at once and let's face it everyone needs a fiber connection everybody needs a high quality connection um, and so the, the bead money does allow a 20% sort of build in areas that are underserved, but that's going to make it a little more expensive, right? But once you get your money, I mean, you could probably, what do you, do you guys have, given that you have really good mapping, do you have a good feel for what your allocation is going to be? Yeah, we think it's going to be, um, we, I think we're looking at between um, 200 and 300 million dollars. Which, you know, I know Texas is going to get like $10 billion or something like that. But for us, that's a lot of money. I mean, it's a real lot of money. We we did a very back of the envelope um, thing a couple of years ago. And um, we estimated that building out to everybody in the state would, um, everybody who's unserved or underserved in the state would cost about $600 million. So 
between the capital projects fund money and the bead money um, and the required match um, and whatever people put in for the American Rescue Plan money and plus the anti-agra and all these other little things going forward, we are pretty sure that this is going to do it for us. We're, we're hopeful this is going to do it for us, or at least at least 97 or 98 percent. Well, that's fantastic. Um, so one of the questions that came in is, what is your strategy to address the BEADS extreme high cost policy for Maine's islands? You know, our islands have not sat aside. They, they, our islands are the most aggressive in getting funding. So we have, um, there's only a couple islands left that don't have fiber. Um, Vinyl Haven, which is a pretty big island, uh, they don't have it yet. They do have cable. Swans has been trying for a while. They don't have it yet, but they've been working on it. But most of other Maine's islands already have a fiber connection, which is because the islands know, they know, they knew a long time ago that if they didn't have fiber to the home, if they didn't have this kind of quality connection, they were going to continue to lose people. And so one of our islands, it's not that far off the coast, right? It's about a mile, maybe a mile and a half, Islesboro. About six years ago, they built out a fiber to the home connection um, to everyone on the island. They've had, well, within the first year, they had six new families move to the island. That's huge. It's huge for an island of 560 people to have six new families move. One of the projects in our ITA, NTIA grant is, in fact, an island, Isla Ho. has about 130 um, residents on it, 30 of which are year-round. Um, and they are really looking forward uh, to having fiber for a lot of reasons, right? Their, their ferry leaves at 7 a.m. in the morning. So if you want to get groceries, if you want to go see your doctor, you got to be on the ferry at 7 a.m. in the morning. doesn't matter what the weather is. Um, this is going to allow them to do more telehealth. It's going to allow to better education access. It's going to allow, you know, all kinds of things, all the things that, that, that fiber enables. And they are really hopeful that, um, that as this connection gets built, that more people will move to their island. A lot, number of questions on um, asking if you can expand on the affordability and match definitions. Yeah. So um, every every um, every state looks at match as a, as a requirement, right? Because we want to make sure our money goes as far as we can. And so we this last round, um, knowing that a lot of times when you build based on cost when cost is the key driver in your scoring mechanism you tend to leave out poorer communities and poorer areas so we looked very diligently at it and developed a weighted scoring mechanism that identifies uh, community match more than provider match and it identifies communities that are um, less able to raise money so the so if your mill rate for the town doesn't raise a lot of money we weighted your contribution higher. Um, match, you know, everybody, we're trying to get as many homes covered as we can, which makes match important. Um, so we look at community match, we look at provider match, all of those things to come together to give us sort of a cost per pass that's weighted based on the community's ability, based on the, uh, on the affordability, um, based on the density, we looked at density. If you are less dense, you get heavier weight because it's more expensive to build. Um, so that's we kind of we look at match and then we sort of pull it apart. But it is a key element of our of our uh, grant process. And the affordability piece, we 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 ask people 
what is it they uh, provide for a, um, a low cost option and we give them points in our scoring process if it's less than $50 a, uh, a month. That's 50 including ACP or EBB? Yes. Okay, great. Uh, so last question, we're out of time here, but a lot of um, people asking, they quite didn't quite understand when you said your NTI grants, uh, five of the home passing costs was, is it 2,000 or 20,000? 2,000. 2,000, okay, great. Well, and, $28 million, 15,000 passes. And then um, the question was, um, does that 2,000 include just the drops of premise or is it only the feeder and distribution cables? Includes drops. Great. Drops. Well, Peggy, we could talk all day. You're just doing amazing work. Um, so thank you for everything you're doing for Maine. And I wish every state was in as good a shape as Maine. So you yeah. guys should be. But uh, awesome. Uh, so thank you. And not only for what you've done, but everything that you're going to have on your plate going forward. It's uh, going to be a busy time for you for the next um, decade, I can say. Uh, so thanks, everyone, for joining us today. I look forward to getting back together next Wednesday. We're going to be discussing utilities, broadband power play with Sean Middleton, the Director of Strategy Operations at Finley Engineering. He's going to discuss strategies to leverage broadband federal funding to modernize electric power infrastructure. You're not going to want to miss that. So thanks, everyone, for joining today, and we'll see you guys again next Wednesday.